All right. So I'll ask you if you will, uh, hopefully you brought a Bible with you today. If not, we've got Bibles in the pews and we have the, the Word of God up on the overhead for you to, to see as well. Uh, today's sermon is going to be taken from Deuteronomy chapter 31 and I will have titled this particular uh, message or sermon, The, Persist the uh, Persistent Presence of God. And I've got to say, I am thankful that the Holy Spirit didn't leave me alone when I was in my mid-twenties. I am thankful that God has never left me ever since He called me into His care and ever since He saved me that the Lord has been persistent in my life. And so the title of this sermon is The Persistent Presence of God. I'll ask you if you will, let's stand together in the honoring of the reading of the precious Word of God, chapter 31 and verse 1. The Word of the Lord says, So Moses continued to speak these words to Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over Jordan. The Lord, your God himself, will go over before you. and He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he has done to Sihon and Og and the kings of the Amorites and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord your God will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you, and he will not forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and he said to him in the sight of Israel, Be strong, be courageous, for you shall go with these people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you, and He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Father, we ask you, that you would add your blessing to the reading of this word so that we might hear what you say to your church. Father, if there's one in here who is heavy laden with burden, Father, that you would be their lifter, Father, that you would lift them up in Christ Jesus. If there's one here today who doesn't know you, Father, I pray today that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior, as Advocate, as King. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Now today is another day in the history of Piney Grove and it is historical because it is a unique day. It's different than it was yesterday. It's different than it was last Sunday. It is where the Lord has pressed upon the church the importance of making disciples and maintaining disciples. You might say, well, preacher, what is a disciple? We know what the Bible says about disciples. We would basically say a disciple is what? A learner of Christ Jesus. One who learns how to be like Christ Jesus. What are some characteristics of a disciple? 
John Piper dis- described and defined disciple in this way. He said, the standard definition of disciple, which is a noun, is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Now, apply to Jesus. A disciple is someone who learns from Him to live like Him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms His or her words and ways to the ways and words of Jesus. Or you might say, as others have put it, that we are little Christs. Little Christs. What better privileged position that we hold than to be noted as little Christs? Not perfect in ourselves, but perfectly in Him. Amen? Not perfect in ourselves, but perfectly in Jesus. We all have a monumental challenge ahead of us. The challenge is not a new challenge. In fact, it is one that has been in place ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, was tempted in the garden and fell into willful sin and disobedience. And and now everything in life itself has been affected by sin itself. Every facet of life has somehow been touched by, by sin and disobedience. The challenge is for you and I to chase after the Lord Jesus with all of our being with everything that we have. Chase the Lord with all that we have and all of our being and to bring our families in tow. To bring them with us as we are the main discipler in our home. To chase after Jesus with all of our being. Now I'm not advocating a works-based salvation as if your salvation will somehow save your children, save your children, because they have to answer to the Lord on their own. And I'm not talking about some works-based salvation. But what I am saying this, moms and dads, grandmas, grandfathers, can I give you a challenge, as we already have, to pursue Christ with your children in tow? To give them every opportunity to hear the word, the truth of the word, without compromise. If I were to survey the churches across the United States today, I would imagine that some of the pulpits and some of the classrooms have had enough of the watered-down version of half-gospels and needs the truth-changing word of God. Place them in an atmosphere that holds high the rightly Christ-honored, divided word of truth. Why? Because the children's book mentality and approach to the Bible will never suffice to growing your children in the ways of the Lord. And so you and I must cut our teeth on the truth of Jesus. That is what's going to help us grow. Why? Because this life, this world is filled with so many pitfalls. It is a spiritual war zone. In a war zone, we need a general. We need someone to command, a commanding officer. We need one that is filled with love and one that will never steer you wrong. 
And that commander or that CO is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But I will tell you this, as we stood here today in solidarity, that the enemy wants nothing more than to seduce you and your children into thinking that they are okay spiritually when in fact they might be far from God. The enemy would like nothing more than to seduce you away from the truth of who Jesus is. And the world is full of those idols and those items that might seduce you and pull you far from Christ. J.I. Packer, the author of Knowing God, I I would suggest every Christ follower to read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Put it next, I won't say to the Bible, but put it close near the Bible. J.I. Packer's Knowing God, he said this of the ministry of the devil. Listen to what he wrote. J.I. Packer said, If I were the devil, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folks from digging into the Bible. Knowing that it is the Word of God, teaching men to know and love and serve the Word of God, I should do all that I could to surround it with spiritual equivalents of pits and thorns and hedges and man traps to fight, frighten people off. At all costs, I should want to keep them away from using their mind in a, dis- a disciplined way to get the message and the measure of the message. If I was the devil, that's what I would do. I would steer the hearts and minds away from the Bible. I would even be, I would even be um, satisfied with a superficial reading of the Word. But the challenge is this, to think and worship with our mind and our heart, our whole being, in a disciplined way, to think, to think intently upon Scripture. And I use this terminology, folks here at Piney Grove, I hope that you remember this. We, uh, a few weeks back, we talked about right worship leads to right, uh, right practice. Remember that? Right worship, right understanding of who God is leads to right practice. Living it out. Living out our faith. So today, we enter into the final portions of the book of Deuteronomy. With all of the commands, all the blessings, and all the cursings we find therein, there is one constant theme that keeps reoccurring. That is the theme of leaving a legacy. Because of Moses and his disobedience or his anger, Moses was not permitted to enter into the promised land that God had said that he would give to his people. Instead, Moses would die before they ever crossed the Jordan River. And as I was reading these verses that we've already read before you this morning, as I was reading these verses, and as I look now, the beautiful families who had come this morning, who joined in and covenanted together, I had this thought. See, I've got three boys of my own, and I had this thought. Here's my thought. I said, when I am dead and gone, when my gravestone has been laid, and I've been put in the ground, what kind of legacy would I have left for my children and my family? Some good legacies are he or she was a hard worker. He or she was a person of integrity. They were a man or woman of their word. They loved their family, which are good things. They're outgoing. They're carefree. They had a, always had a smile on their face. And the list can go on and on and on and on. 
the most important question that one could ever ask as they stand above the grave of a loved one or a family member is did they know Christ and what kind of example? I ask of myself, what kind of example did I leave my children? Did I lead my family in such a way that when they themselves grow up into adulthood, they will be able to look back and they will see that their family was so consumed by the love of Jesus that people paid attention. Now, I'm not talking about knowing Jesus in a way where you sprinkle the name of Jesus on everything in life. Go to the grocery store, sprinkle Jesus there. I'm not talking about sprinkling, sprinkling a little Jesus here in your life. What I am speaking of is about living your life as a disciple of Jesus. So here's the formula. Okay, here's the formula. More so than a formula, it's a way of life. Life's formula for being a Christ follower is not life plus Jesus. It is not life plus Jesus. It must be Jesus and my life lived through Him. Amen? My life lived through Him. And in order to live this way, you must be close to Him. You must be close to the Lord. You must know Him and you must know His doctrine. Now, through it all, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you to sink or swim. And He will never forsake you. Now, with verse, these verses in mind of chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, let's look a little bit closer at the points. In fact, I've got one point for us to ponder today. As the question is, am I leaving a lasting, God-centered, Christ-honoring legacy for my family and for my children to follow? Moses is standing here and he's addressing this assembly who are, they have all eyes on Moses, their leader. Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel. In verse 1, the following words to Israel are to give further instructions and to set the people, make them ready for his departure or his death. This is really what we would consider the primitive core of what making disciples entails. Are you helping to equip people to replicate being a follower of Christ? Are you, do you have somebody walking with you to help you replicate what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? Is there somebody in your life who can kick you in the seat of the pants when you need it? Of course, in the name of Jesus. Do you have somebody that you can walk with? See, Moses is, is God's prophet at this time. And when God speaks, His people must listen and act upon the, His words. But what did the Lord say through the prophet Moses? Moses addresses the congregation and he said, Be strong, the Lord goes with you. Be strong, the Lord goes with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is with you today? Do you believe He is your strength? Do you believe that He is your provision? He is your provider? He is your salvation? If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. He said to them, I am 120 years old. I am no longer able to go into this land. I'm, I can't go out and I can't come in. The Lord said, you shall not go over into the land of Jordan, 120 years old. Moses knew he accepted the fact that he has sinned against the Lord and he has sinned against the people. Because of this sin and because of anger, the Lord forbade Moses from entering into the promised land. And we read the book of 
of Exodus, we read through the Torah, and we see Moses, and we say, if anyone deserved, we think, to go into the promised land, it should have been Moses. But Moses acted out of turn. He acted out of character. We see in Numbers chapter 20, Moses and Aaron had assembled the people. They were grumbling people. They complained, they moaned, they groaned almost the whole trip. And Moses was tired of it. To be sure, there's no people in the churches today that do that, do they? Moan and groan and complain. There's none of that, is there? They complained and they moaned and they groaned the whole trip. And the sin was not so much the anger as it was letting the anger exhibit in rage. And ideally, this is seen as a mistrust in God. Moses says in verse 10 of Numbers 20, Listen, you rebels, shall we, shall we bring water from out of this rock? And then he struck it. He hit it twice, and water came out. So what is the sin? Is his anger the sin? Thinking that we should bring water? Thinking that we should bring the miracle? Thinking that we ourselves act in our power and strength to bring the water out of the rock and provide instead of leaning on God. And then the Lord said to Moses, He said, It is because of your unbelief. You didn't trust me. There are actually two things of opposition that are stacked against Moses. First is his rebellion in the wilderness of Zen or sin that I just read. Secondly, well, he's just 120 years old. He's not agile as he once was. In fact, he says, I'm no longer able. But one thing that I noted in Moses' character flaw of acting out in anger or his unbelief, there's also good character traits. There is a character trait, I think, that is admirable in the character trait of Moses, and that he was a good leader. A good leader, if you remember me saying this last week, a good leader will look to secure the future even if they themselves will not be in it. The posterity of the future. A good leader will put everything on the line even if they themselves might not be in it. Even so, the Lord will be with us it isn't Moses that wins these battles. It isn't Moses that will secure the future. It is, in verse 3, the Lord your God Himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them and Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. Pagan nations surrounded Israel. There are, in fact, seven pagan nations from the Canaanites to the Amalekites. Total of seven pagan nations surrounding them who surrounded Israel this temporary nomadic tribe of Israel. These nations all held to the worship and adoration of idols and other gods who had no breath in them at all. They were just pieces of wood and, 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 and pieces of, of steel, if you will. They had no life in them. And now Joshua is coming in after Moses. He's going to be groomed as the next leader. We could say he's going to be discipled as the next leader. He has been groomed to follow the commandments and to remember he was one of the brave ones at Cana who said, let's march in and take what God has promised to us. 
There's giants in them hills. There's giants all around us. There's obstacles all around us. There's landmines all around us. And Joshua was the one. Let's go in. God has promised it. Let's, let's take it. You know, I believe one of the hardest areas in our walk with the Lord is to trust that God is our ultimate provider and our protector. You ever had issue trusting that God will provide or doubted Him one sliver? The biggest enemy we have in life is sin or sinfulness. But there is a promise given way back in Genesis chapter 3. This pre-gospel occasion where the Bible says that there is coming one who will crush the head of the serpent. The Lord Jesus, we find in the gospel accounts, is our rescuer. He is the one that crushes this enemy on the cross of Calvary as the head of this serpent is crushed. It is the Lord Himself who bore our sins to the cross of Calvary. And there is no amount of worth that is within you, no amount of merit that you can possess to ever outdo the work of Jesus Christ. God provided a way of salvation, the offering of His only unique and begotten Son. The Bible says the Lord will do to them as He did in Sion and Og, the kings of Amorites. He will destroy them. We find this account in Numbers 21 for those who might be writing this reference. The account there is the defeat of Sion and Og and the Amorites, those pagan nations who surrounded the people. Do you get the picture? You get the picture of enemies all around? We can say that we serve Jesus now. I just want you to know that there are enemies all around you who want nothing more than to stifle your witness for Christ, to ruin your testimony for Him, to smear the name of Jesus, to smear your family name, saying, hey, they ain't worthy of, of living a Christ-following life. But then the Lord Himself will be the one who goes to battle for you. If we cling to Him, the Lord will give them over to you. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandments that I have commanded. Be strong. Be of courage. Be courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes before you. And He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And the initial reading of those verses, I had the notes up on the board. I don't know if you noticed this. But if you take notes in your Bible, if you write notes, I'll challenge you. Underline those verses that say He will never leave you or forsake you. We find it in the Great Commission that He will never leave you, He will never forsake you as the disciples and the apostles go out into the world to share and to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus says of Himself that I will never leave you nor forsake you. The very front of your bulletin, you'll look and you'll see. There is a reference from Hebrews that say, No, I will, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And by the time we get to the book of Revelation, guess what it says? That we will dwell with God, He will be our God, and we will be His people. He, will be, he is near to us. He is the God who is near to us. Do not fear the enemies. Why? Because the Lord your God will go with you. So we answered the question, what is a disciple? We say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are people we see and we might be calling out the gospel accounts, and you might be able to, to name all the disciples. 
Another question I want to ask you is, what does it mean to be courageous? What does it mean to be courageous? Listen, church, we had four families covenant with the Lord this morning. They covenant this morning. And the blessing is not that, that we are here trying to, to wave a magic wand over these children. That's not, that's not what a baby dedication is. It is we are covenanting with the one true triune God and will say that we will do what it takes as a church and parents to give every occasion for those young babies to hear, those young children to hear the good news. Make no mistake about it. Children and families face much adversity today. There is a spiritual war that is waging all around us as soon as the child enters into the world and it doesn't stop until the spirit leaves the body. And it takes a lot of courage to bring up a child today. So much more courage to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. But what is courage? One author said, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. Unless you're anxious. Unless you're fearful. Unless you're worrisome about the atmosphere that's surrounding you and your family in this world we live in. Now the one who wrote that particular quote was a man by the name of Eddie Rickenbacker. You may or may not have heard of Eddie Rickenbacker, but during World War I or World War II, Eddie was considered America's most famous army aviator from the World War I era. He was appointed special consultant to Secretary of War Henry Stimson. Rickenbacker's task was to inspect the countless uh, avenues and, and theaters of war. If there was a rumor of war, Rickenbacker was to go and investigate. If there was a rumor of war here, Rickenbacker was sent out to investigate, did not have social media, didn't have those things, the internet such as that. During one tour in 1942, Rickenbacker and seven companions, they had to make a crash landing in the Pacific Ocean. There in the Pacific Ocean, they experienced 24 terrifying days drifting in a lifeboat until they were rescued by a Navy plane. 24 days in the open water in the ocean. After their recovery, after this ordeal, Rickenbacker said... Let the moment come when nothing is left but life. And you will find that you do not hesitate over the fate of material possessions. What we hold is life itself. The precious gift of life itself. Rickenbacker understood that at such a time, one is concerned about the fate of something more precious than material goods. It is life itself. Life is precious. Children are precious. God's people are precious. And we must be willing to go to battle. Are you going to go to battle for your children? Go to battle for your children and your families with the courage to stand for Christ. And He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Moses summoned Joshua, he said to them, Be strong, be courageous, go with this people. The Lord has swore to your fathers, 
that you were going to, he's going to give it to you. He's going to give you this land and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, if you were to travel through the rest of Deuteronomy, you'll find that there is this proclamation of the reading of the Word of God that is, it is a staple in their midst, in their congregation. The public reading is a challenge, the public reading of God in their homes and in the congregation. The Lord calls Moses and Joshua to the tabernacle to, to, to worship the Lord, but then He appears to them and He informs Moses that His death is coming soon and He delivers to, to them a prophetic historical song known as the Song of Moses. He's about to live, leave Israel and he's going to leave with some instruction. Moses writes this song and he teaches it to Israel. He gives Joshua a charge. He finishes the book of the law. He commands the Levites to lay it up to the side of the ark. He predicts their rebellion to come. He orders the elders to be gathered together. He shows what evils would befall the people in the latter days. And then the last portion of Deuteronomy, he repeats this song to them. Sometimes you need to just grab a hold of someone and admonish them to be strong. I'll never forget this. I had a, a fellow who I thought at the time was being a little thin-skinned. Okay, this was, we, we had lived off, and this is the first church we had taken. Um, and I remember this guy, I just wanted to, take off my pastoral robe for a moment and just shake them. You ever had these people like that? Just want to shake them. Just grab somebody. Grab them up. Just be real with them. And part of being a disciple of Jesus is being able to have people speak hard truths in your life and to not get offended and to be thin-skinned, but they do it. This is the second time in this chapter where Moses stated this. To be strong and be courageous when the enemy and and adversity is all around you. Be strong and courageous and encourage with the task before you. Now, for all of us, molding and shaping and nurturing means following in the footsteps of Jesus. And I know it's a daunting task. It's difficult. But it's one that needs to be done. The beauty of this context is this. We have the beauty of leaning on a church family. The beauty of leaning into the truth of who God is. Notice Moses says to Joshua, even through the task, and though the task is heavy, you will go with this people. There's no such thing as a lone star Christian or lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as an isolationist in the body of Christ. Listen carefully. The Lord Jesus promised that He would never leave us nor forsake us. And neither should we leave or forsake one another. Do not fear. Why? Because He goes before you in battle. He will stick with you and He will see you through. See, I want to leave you with these words in closing. There's a prayer of thanksgiving written to the church at Philippi, by the hands of the Apostle Paul. Do you know that we are partners in the gospel? 
Do you know that each and every one of us are partners, partners in the gospel kingdom? What I want you to do right now in closing, we're going to say this prayer together from Philippians chapter 1. What I want you to do, every head bowed, every eye closed in here. Don't look at this screen. Don't look at one another. I just want you to listen to these words from Philippians chapter 1, okay? You ready? Amen? All right. Philippians 1, 3 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, listen carefully, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the constant reminder of the persistent presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray as the church that we will be a persistent presence one with another as well. That we will nurture one another. That we will partner in the gospel. That we will do what it takes for every one of us here today to hear the good news. To be shaped and molded by the word of God. And Father we know that you have been good to us. We give you praise. We give you worship. In Jesus name. Amen.